0: Love Thy Neighborhood is sponsored by FreeNow, the Mobility Super App. I like to think of myself as a kind of urban warlock, navigating the city streets, unlocking e-scooters, black cabs and e-bikes across London with just a few taps and swipes, thanks to a certain Mobility Super App. And I can choose to travel in vehicles with electric or hybrid engines to do my part for the environment, because this warlock is a green warlock. One app, more ways to travel. Feel free now.
1: she'd find a turd behind a bus stop and she'd run off with it like it was a a prize. It was some sort of game and we're chasing after saying, drop the turd. Um, They love it. It's like a high-value treat.
0: Good evening, good whatever. My name is Joe Makatich, the big dog at Time Out London, and you're listening to Love Thy Neighborhood, the podcast in which someone with a keener mind and a danker soul than myself gives me a guided tour of an area that means a lot to them. One place, four locations that they would give their own five-star rating to. Five stars, of course, is what we do at Time Out. If we like something, a bar, a, a restaurant, gallery, You take a big mouthful of stars, swish it up, and then carefully dribble out five of them, changing the course of history forever. Today, we're in Hoxton. Yeah, skinny jeans and well-kept beards, plastic people nightclub, the Hoxton thin haircut named after the area. It was sort of synonymous with a kind of fairly fictitious hipsterism a while ago, which has kind of come to come to pass a little bit, doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, but before that, it's been absolutely tons of things. It was, of course, where the other Jacobean playwright, Ben Johnson, uh, shanked a fool in Hoxton Square a long, long time ago. A lot of it burned down, the Great Fire of London, I and mean, when they, they rebuilt it, they wanted it to be a very posh area, but they didn't get very far before the money ran out. And the only bit now which looks like they wanted it to look is uh, De Beauvoir Square, which is much, much further up. Uh, Victorian times, music halls, theatres, that sort of stuff. Dickens wrote about it. The craze lived not too far away, but well, they were born there anyway. Uh, it was described as an anxious motley place at the time. Uh, the Luftwaffe bombed it to bits. In the 90s, it was one of the first places to actually sort of be victim to what everyone refers to as gentrification, and that was after these so-called young British artists all came here and sort of exploded here. There was a very famous uh, curator who died young, sadly, Joshua Compton, and his uh, gallery was here. He was based here. He had a very famous show, A Fate Worse Than Death in Hoxton Square, where absolutely everyone who would go on the next year to be at the Sensations exhibition in Royal Academy first appeared. And since then, it's now described as the most expensive tech and creative district in the world more so than San Francisco, more so than Brooklyn. But the old street roundabout, still not renovated, so some things never change. The person that's brought me here, a very significant figure, he's been on our TVs for probably close to about 25 years, been performing for a lot longer than that. He is, of course, the mind maestro, Darren Brown. His shows are myriad and many. Mind Control, Trick of the Mind. Darren Brown investigates. Darren Brown plays Russian Roulette live. Seance, Heist, The Event, House Controller Nation, The Gathering, so many more. He also consistently tours around the UK, comes up with stage shows, hasn't lost the love of a live audience. Yeah, Darren Brown, uh, what a guy. Uh, I'm actually talking to him on the eve of his new show, which is Unbelievable, which is just about to start at the Criterion Theatre in Piccadilly. Um, There's not huge amounts of information about what it's about, but it's been described as a magic show like no other. It fuses the best of theatre with illusion, sleight of hand and mind reading. Great stuff. It's on there for about six months. In any case, we've just arrived at our first location. It's a very sunny day, the end of summer, so I'm going to go in and say hi. Okay, Mr. Darren Brown. Hello. Where are we and why have you brought me here?
1: So we're in a cafe called Friends of Ours, which is on Pitfield Street in Hoxton, which is sort of pretty much where I used to live. And um, I would come here, I think it's safe to say every day. Like, I've been away for a few years. So I've just come back. And it's different, like it's different people and they're doing their own coffee now, which is really exciting and the artwork's changed on the walls. But it's a phenomenal place and the, um, one of the big attractions to me was the bread. So they get their bread from a um, bakery called the Dusty Knuckle, which is in Dalston and it is the best bread I have ever had. And I like, I like a bread. I, I like bread very much. Is and it the potato sourdough? It's the potato sourdough is what you want, yeah. I mean, all the, all the sourdoughs are great, but the potato sourdough is particularly good. And the Dusty Knuckles is interesting because uh, not only is it phenomenal, but they employ people that are out of prison and people that would have difficulty getting back into the workplace and so on. Um, which, when you say that, makes it sound a little bit like maybe the food isn't going to be great and maybe it's a, more about this sort of charitable aspect. But I didn't find out about that bit until much later. I just was in love with their baking so um there's a sort of
0: association maybe when you you know this is much to uh, all of our discredit when yes. we hear the word prison
1: we don't think good food we know or we think maybe it's not going to be about the food it's going to be about the uh, the cause the worthiness of the cause yeah but actually the two things have come together extremely well mm. and the uh, the bread the bread but I've, but I've never been there i've never been to the dusty knuckle i've only ever had it here and i loved it and i lived on this bread when i moved out of london a few years ago i realized how good it was, because you can't get, like, mm. amazing sour. There's a place in Bristol, I know, Hart's Bakery, which is very good, right by Temple Mead Station. If you ever come out of Temple Mead, it's tucked around the corner, which is also very good, but it doesn't quite touch the, um, the stuff they do here.
0: And when we came in here, uh, you immediately bought some beans. Some I did. Some coffee beans. I
1: bought beans. I'm so delighted they're making their own coffee. Here comes my flat white. Look at that. Look at that. excellence! Thank you very much. I wish you could see this. I believe that is a tulip.
0: Yeah, the pattern on the coffee is a lovely tulip. That's a lovely
1: coffee. Thank you. Do you favor the milkier coffees? Yeah, yeah. I like a flat white. I went through a thing of uh, stealing cups from um, cafes around the world that I loved. It would yeah. be happy memories. Little espresso cups. And then um, the last time we were in Paris, we'd looked around for a, um, a, a place that would do a really good steak tartare. then mm. eventually found a place, and I'd given up stealing coffee cups by this point. I thought this would be such a great place. It'd been such a great day finding the, the best place that did it. And there was me and a friend and his girlfriend who was quite, so sort of quite quiet, b- very sort of bookish. They literally run bookshops in Paris. And my friend Christian was trying to get me to steal the cup and I said, like, no, I won't. I shut and he said, no, go on, just do it. Just take it. And I went, no, and I was really humming and ahhing about it. In the end, I was like, no, I won't, I won't do it. And I left without stealing it. And she bloody nicked one. Wow. She had one under a newspaper. Quite
0: funny hearing about you wrestling with peer pressure. <laughs> But um, no, uh, also when you first mentioned the, uh, the thefts, you hesitated slightly, suggesting that you still feel a bit bad about
1: it. I used to steal a lot, I was a proper shoplifter when I was um, sort of late teenager. It was, it was that time in the 80s when like gadgets were like a real thing, but they were very expensive, but it was all like gadgety stuff, so I used to just nick it. Cause just I'm colourful, colourful of
0: plastic Colourful stuff.
1: plastic so I remember looking around my bedroom at one point, and I was like yeah, everything I can see i have i have stolen
0: you were in a sort of den of crime and iniquity yeah i was yeah in and, then, and i suppose hoxton is a sort, it's quite an apposite place to move to lots yeah. of uh, the history of crime and things here uh, yeah
1: very yeah, very dodgy history so we moved in when that kind of um young british artist tracy yemeny kind of world had sort of peaked and i have to say it's it's sort of it's a bit of a shame it's lost that really by the time we moved out it was Kind of like the train from uh, where is it in Essex? Can't remember. There was like a direct line to Liverpool Street, and it became like Hen Night. It did, yeah. Hen Central, I think people moved
0: from before that. It was Upper Street where people used to go. This sounds like we're uh, shitting all over people from Essex. And I have to say, I love the Essex folk. I've worked with a great many of them. Very cheerful, uh, very optimistic. Oh,
1: Essex is beautiful. I guess a bad rap. It's it's beautiful, but unfortunately. Headlights nights on your doorstep every night of the week. That, that wasn't, that wasn't mm. great.
0: And I feel like uh, after here, they sort of went to uh, Kingsland Road. I think now is more like a headway Yeah, head yeah, place.
1: it's going that way. Eventually it'll be Margate.
0: It will be Margate be eventually. There.
1: And then in the sea. Yes. <laughs> it's lovely. There's a Curzon Cinema next door to this, which was being built when I was last here. That was a real shame moving out just as they're building a Curzon Cinema on your doorstep. That was very upsetting. But I'm pleased to see that they've done that.
0: Yeah, it looks lovely as well. It's one of yeah. the sort of... Um, the nicest, most sort of middle-class cinema chains uh, that people like me sort of patronize. Uh love them. Yeah, with the, really s- the, love the sound of people making cocktails in the background as the trailers exactly. are coming to an edge, yeah, it's the best. Where else, when you lived here, did you like to sort of eat or drink?
1: Um, well, there's a great Italian, which I nearly went to tonight, uh, called Bottega Prelibato, and that's the unauthentic pronunciation, Bottega Prelibato, which is, just down in, sort of, uh, behind us somewhere, but also in Hoxton. Um, that was lovely, I used to go there a lot. Uh, Nobu, very fancy, opened uh, um, a restaurant there, which was very good, I sort of don't, I don't get the attraction of the one in London at all, but the one mm. here was very nice. I said the one in London, the one on, um, what's it? The big one. The big one, yeah, I never really got that, but the, the one here was lovely, the sushi was lovely, so I went there occasionally. Um, but we lived on the, or just off the square, and the um, it was a shame because these lovely restaurants would open, and then they just couldn't quite um, hold it together because it was hard for nice restaurants to keep going. It was all and it was Head nights it? and design companies.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask as well. Did this area have some sort of appeal to the, the stage aficionado in you? Because this place in Victorian times was where the musicals were. It was at Variety. It was where there were sort of theatres. and absolutely tons of them when you look into mm, it. Yeah. And you, you're someone that, despite all of the success with the TV and the books, you've never stopped doing stage shows as well. No, love them. Were you aware of that when you were no, here? No,
1: not at all. But there is. this a little Hoxham Theatre, I think it's called, on Hoxham Street, where David... Burglass who's one of my heroes, uh, performed, and um, there's a little one, I think it's called The Clock something, th- I don't know, a little, little place just on, on the street where we are now. But yes, I never really um, never really went to them or explored any of that. Um, you can get onto the canal very easily, which is quite nice, that's a nice weekend walk. It's mm. not very good for walking dogs, that's the only thing around here, and one of the reasons why we ended up moving is we had these two dogs, and you... you only start to realize how much crap and drug stuff and like there is just on the streets and in the grass and everywhere
0: uh, yeah I own a dog and i 'm acutely aware of which pubs around, like Cannonbury have yeah. broken glass in front of them. Yeah,
1: yeah, you suddenly become very aware of that. Yeah,
0: and you, and you do a kind of weird, very kind of conscious walk where you're just scanning yeah. the pavement at all times yeah. for, like, uh, yeah, discarded needles, broken glass, things like that.
1: And human turds, let's, let's not be shy. Let's not overlook the no, excrement. Because one of our first dog we, had, we still have is a Beagle Basset, so the very nose-scented <laughs> proper hound. And she was a puppy, and she'd love it. She'd find a, a homeless person's turd behind a bus stop and she'd run off with it like it was a, a yeah. prize it was some sort of game and we're chasing after saying drop the turd I find know that my command. dog
0: will turn its nose up literally at other dogs feces but will be very drawn to human feces uh, yeah the yeah. feces often uh, I'm assuming belonging to maybe the homeless or a, a drug addict and things like yes. that so I,
1: th- <laughs> I think that's the probably the good stock. because it's quite moorish I don't know it's yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely yeah. once you pop you can't stop yeah uh, but yeah. I've had to try and wean him off the uh, human excrement Um, I
1: love it. It's like a high-value treat. (laughs) (laughs) So they have to have in your pocket on reserve. uh, Yeah, and they wonder
0: why people who own dogs have been excommunicated from society. (laughs) we are walking around with two pockets of human Hmm. crap the Mm -hmm. whole time. Why do you keep going back to the stage? I'm not really that much of a magic aficionado, but I do know that, like, you're not necessarily part of the magic community in the same way that the people in the magic circle sort of all Mm. hang out together. You're sort of one foot in, one foot out. Is that right?
1: Yeah, certainly because I've never joined anything. I'm a bit, I'm just, whatever, slightly something. I've got a bit of an allergy to joining stuff. So no, I never, I never did. But I do think if you make the thing that you do, whether it's, journalism or whether it's magic if it's all you kind of have and it feels bigger than you then it's hard to move it anywhere i think you want to have one foot in it and then one foot in the rest of life and then you've got a bit of leverage to kind of move it somewhere so i think also it's quite a childish thing isn't it it's a childish and dishonest thing so unless you can find a way of making it grown up and honest doing something honest with it then you should grow out of it. And I would have grown out of it if it hadn't been for the fact, I guess my career had taken off. And I thought it's a bit, it would be silly just to walk away from this now. So maybe I can try and find other things I can bring to it and make it a bit more interesting. So that, that's kept me going and has made it feel worthwhile. What do you think would have happened
0: had uh, you not kept going? What kind of career path would have appealed to you? I
1: don't know. I was supposed to be a lawyer. I um, studied law and German. Did not want to be a lawyer. Or a, or a German. So, yeah, I had no fun with that. And No, I don't, uh, so I don't think I'd have done that either. But I saw a hypnotist in my first year at university, and, that, and then it all kind of went, ah. Yeah.
0: What was the performance like?
1: Uh, it was a guy called Martin Taylor, Martin S. Taylor. And it was very good, actually. I was, I was lucky, because a lot of hypnosis shows, I guess, are pretty tacky stuff. And his, his wasn't at all. It was really fascinating. and It was funny, but you were kind of laughing with it rather than at anybody. So... He was my only role model, so when I started off, I kind of very much did things in his mould, and I had questions and answers afterwards and everything, and, but ended up doing more magic, like close-up magic, but then that suggestion-based stuff was always, to me, the really interesting heart of it all.
0: Is it an addiction to seeing that moment of surprise in people's faces, where they think they know what they're gonna expect, and then you manage to confound them even then? I don't
1: think it is that. I think what it actually is, which again is something you have to grow out of, is hiding behind something that makes you look impressive. It is the shortest, most fraudulent route to impressing people. People look at something that is literally in front of you in your hands and go, "Oh, you're uh, you're you're amazing." So, thus, it's no surprise that magicians are a bit of an odd bunch. And and often, when you see a magic performance, it's just a lot of. Ego. Actually, one of the nice things about the show I'm doing now, which I'm not in, but the show Unbelievable, which is at the Criterion at the moment, we decided not to use magicians. We've used musicians and actors and trained them in the magic stuff. And it's so different because there's none of that weird ego stuff. And you can actually craft a show and you can write it with the beginning, middle and end and everything. It's lovely. Um, Is there a
0: thing where you meet people who are very experienced Magicians who have taken it on as a persona and they have a sort of stench of magic about them that you yeah, find yeah
1: sometimes' quite literally a, a stench of magic <laughs> about them <laughs> yeah no it's, it's, it's a bit of a funny world because you do it to impress so and I, for me, all in my twenties i'd have found it very hard to sit and have a normal conversation i had to I had to impress, so I had tricks in my pocket or I could talk about hypnosis, or I could show you a trick, but actually just simply you know being a normal, nice person I just was sort of difficult and uneasy, so I think that's why, I think that's its appeal for people that do it, that's why it's a lot of shy young men for some reason, less, yes. less so now, but it's always been a very male-dominated thing, but not like cool young men, like definitely sort of shy young men, not that they're not cool in their own way, but it's definitely had, it, uh, that sort of slightly insecure thing, could definitely... Um, Fills that gap if that's yes, what you need.
0: Yes, like um, heavy metal and professional wrestling, I would say. It attracts a sort of similar type of really? person. Really? Is that true? I think so. I love it. I, I, would, I would say maybe the, yeah, the sweaty of head, the lank of hair yeah. um, <laughs> would, would, would be drawn to it. Well, thank you very much for showing me uh, this wonderful cafe. It's great, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, friends of ours. Should we, uh, should we crack on? move on. on. Yeah. Next place.
1: Oh, that's now schnitzel heaven.
0: It's a schnitzel heaven. Begs the question, where's schnitzel hell? <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> have you heard of the um, ancient
1: deists of Hoxton? I have not. Is that a thing? It was play?
0: a... I thought for some reason, because um, you lived here, maybe you'd know about it, but they had their headquarters in Hoxton Square. They were a sort of society in the 1700s of people who thought they were in direct communication with God. Oh, right. Um, Or or like lots of different types of deities. Right. Sort of uh, magicians and philosophers, uh, prophets and things like that. Only in
1: Hoxton, that's fantastic. I was going to say, sort of nothing's
0: really changed that much. There's sort of people, I think they were like sort of proto, what are they called, theosophy people? You know, when Mm -hmm. they sort of try and combine philosophy and religion yeah, and yeah, things like probably. that.
1: Rudolf Steiner and all of that stuff. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they were sort of leading up to that. Does it feel nice to come back here? It
1: really does, yeah. There's a the little little park we just passed where I used to walk the dog. Oh. Um, and I was thinking it'd be nice to bring them back here and see if they'd have the same, like, do dogs get nostalgia? Do they um, have the same? Th- I'm funny like, you mentioned that. You said to like you know the answer, go on.
0: Well, I took my dog back to uh, the street in which he was born. Uh, to see if there'd be any yeah. flicker of recognition. Nothing. Um, do you know what? He sat down in front of the house in which he was born. That might be because he was very tired and I'd been walking him yeah. uh, all the way around Victoria Park. Uh, and we just got to this house and I think I hesitated, so he sat down. But it was directly in front of his uh, place of so birth. So was he
1: taking a cue from you? We just don't know. Did he any indication he wanted to stay there or go in or just that he...
0: He just stopped for a bit. I mean, it's, yeah. it's more questions than answers, really. Yeah. Uh, But there was definitely a moment where where he sort of stopped and he sat. Um, But I don't know if there is uh, really that much nostalgia. He doesn't seem to remember things from one minute to the next, let alone from six years ago.
1: It reminds me of um, those learned pigs and horses and dogs, where and I've seen it where the dog's given a mathematical, simple maths, you know, four, four plus two, and the dog will bark the right number. And it's a really interesting thing that the owner... Oh, we're here. The owner... Because the owner knows the answer. All the owner's doing is making some tiny shift within themselves, not on purpose, there's not a scam, but they do something, and the dog's got very good at picking up on that sense of that's correct from the owner this and knows to stop.
0: Genuinely does feed into stuff that you do because owning a dog. Yes. I've realized makes you very, very aware of like tiny micro gestures, tiny yes. ones. Yes. So other people will, will see my dog yeah. and be acting in a way that I just know will either get yeah, him overexcited, yeah, yeah. Yeah. upset yeah. him, calm him down, and it's like things with the shoulders, or, or, or it's the way they're turning to like yeah. face or not face. Yeah. And they seem like enormous things to me because I'm yeah. used to the yeah. dog basically. I'm just used to being around the dog. They're very funny about
1: posture, aren't they? Doodle is um, she does not like bad posture, mm. strange posture. And we used to visit a place and there was a, an old lady used to come up her house and cross the road and she was properly cafotic pro- properly bent over, like right over like you do see some people like that. And she got proper earful every time people yes. got out of the car.
0: I find anyone with a sort of uncommon gait, <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. they definitely come yeah. in for a
0: blasting. Yeah, yeah. We've, anyway, we've arrived at well uh, right. our second location. Do you want to say
1: where we are? Hi. Hello. This is Orhan's Taylors, also on Pitfield Street. Are we allowed in? Is that? Oh, yeah. Hi. So, used to come here all the time and... Uh, Never had a suit made, but this was um, great for getting things adjusted and so right. on, it's come here a lot. But the, my fondest memory here was this was the first place I came after lockdown lifted. And obviously that had been such a strange time, as we all used to say. And it was the first time I came somewhere and like spoke to someone in a shop that I that I knew, who was, was Joe and, and Orhan, who runs the place. And I had this, there was this really sort of, had this really strong feeling of like that we'd all been through this sort of adventure and now here you are again, you're back, you're this funny little bit of life is back again and you managed to survive it. I survived it, but and I kinda of just wanted to like give them a big hug and say, Isn't it amazing that we're alive and we all we all do this thing? But of course, you don't do that because you're you're sort of being a customer in a in a shop. But it really it felt like, you know, um we you know when they clean a restore an old painting and just for a minute you sort of you see all the colors as they're supposed to be and then gradually it gets all dusty again but it was that real moment of just what it was to be human amongst other other humans and i always associate it with coming in here because that was the first time i really felt that wow we've all been through this thing life and death stuff together yeah everyone has minutes. a similar do they
0: post lockdown yeah. thing i think yeah. they have that, that moment So almost like a sort a of transcendent uh feeling of like you know, connectivity with London itself. Yeah. Yours happened to be in a in a in a small tailor in, yes, in Hoxton. Yes. Also, the
1: buttons are nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Inevitably, mine was in a pub. I think. Uh, um, Orhan, who owns it?
1: Yes. Nice man. Very nice man. Very very nice man. Who sadly is uh, is not here, but yeah, lovely. It's a really lovely place. This little bit of Hoxton. It's really charming. It all feels like I don't know what old Hoxton was like, and it, I'm sure this wasn't here, but it feels like that. It was a lovely little bit of of old mm. East End, without being. Um, but it isn't. It's all like I guess quite hipstery and not really that old at all. But it's a charming bit, and it's such a it's just such a lovely bit. And you can get a soup made. And I should really be on the wall with all these people here. Um, there's clearly been some well, terrible mistake. Day. There he is, look, there's the man. There's all hands. There's, there. there's,
0: there's a lovely black and white photo. It'll be nothing for our listeners. Of Orhan. Well, no, we will come in and see him, Razor uh, razor glass. He looks like a very characterful chat. It's a lovely picture. Yeah, it's good. It's very nice. As a person that's involved in illusions and things like that, yes. when you look at tailoring jackets, uh-huh. are you sort of thinking about hidden pocket potential? Yeah,
1: one of the, one of the recent presidents of the Magic Circle was a tailor and his family were tailors, and it was yeah. It was all about that, all about how do you hide a dove? How do you <laughs> hide a dove in yeah, a tuxedo. Yeah, air? there's the
0: one million dollar question. Yeah, you know, even if you're not involved in magic, to be honest, that's something that keeps me awake. It's still at night. a big
1: question. Yeah, they do. They manage to do it. I'm always, I'm always in awe. It's funny that that something like dove magic. I just know nothing about it, and it's funny to be so in the world of magic, and yet utterly fooled like a child yes. by just one branch like that That is never, I've just never been something I've, you know, looked into. So yeah, very clever jackets do help with that.
0: Mm. And I'm assuming a sort of rubber inside, which you can just wipe clean.
1: I would hope so. Otherwise we're back to that problem again. Yeah, we, we are. We keep going there, don't we?
0: Yeah, we do. As I think it's a, it's a re- recurring feature uh, in any podcast about London <laughs> is uh, feculence.
1: <laughs> Sheer feculence. Yeah. That's a good word. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, shall we move on to our next place? We move. Uh, by your hands. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us.
0: Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Love thy neighbourhood is sponsored by Free Now, the mobility super app. Thanks to Free Now, I can get to where I need to go in London in a private ride, black cab, e-scooter, or e-bike. One app, more ways to travel. Feel Free Now.
1: So, we're now entering uh, my world where I used to live. This was it. So,
0: you walked around this square, Hoxton Square. All
1: the time. So, this here, which is now closed, was Bill's. Bill's, yes. So, we're on the, we're on the corner of Hoxton Square, and uh, this has been a number of. It was Blue Bar, famously. It was Blue Note, I think, or something. It's been like bass a. Bass Clef. Bass Clef, is that it? Thank you. Been a number of jazz bars over the, over the years. It's also, as you can see there, where James Parkinson discovered Parkinson's disease uh, which is kind of amazing. Do you like bills? I loved bills so I would come here it's before I got into friends of ours I would come here probably three meals a day
0: so if that hadn't have happened maybe Bills was would still be open.
1: probably <laughs> would still be open. And it was interesting because I so I, yeah I would come here a lot very friendly with the staff I would have them over at mine for roof parties. Oh. Had them over at Christmas one year and they'd bring me they'd bring me my food because I because I used to just literally just you know.
0: There's something very Dickensian about that. It was that so, Having the staff come up so to you.
1: I still have lots of their I hope Mr. you know Bill himself isn't uh, listening from his pad in Lewis or wherever he is, but I used to um nickel up their crockery because they would bring stuff over and with the best one in the world i didn't always get to give it all back i'd find the odd bit so still many years later
0: well i'm sure you made it up to them uh no i i only now i knew about bass clef um just through i a Mm. am a fan of jazz and it was uh i think that was the beginning of the acid jazz thing in the 90s all those bands you know big ones like Jamiroquai. I yeah, think it all, yeah. it all started with started the here. the club and the um record label that was based out of here. It was I there didn't for a know. while that's great, yeah,
1: it's lovely, and a weird thing that happens you go on tour and you come back and all the staff have changed so this kind of lovely relationship you build up with the place suddenly just disappears, and every year I was having to sort of start again and then I think something happened to bills I think they uh, sort of a few of them started closing down it kind mm. of something changed and then it went, and then it was this place that says Havana there, so that's what it became afterwards, which was clearly a front for something. Didn't there last never long. anybody in it, and now that's closed too, which is probably. A,
0: do you like a good the, thing. the touring, the relentless show tour show? Is it a nice way to sort of break up time? Any- I
1: I do like it. I'm very pleased with this show now. Unbelievable that I'm not having I mean, to do it every night. It's nice to actually have that experience of like putting the work in and then letting other people get on with it, but. I do love touring but the difficulty is however much you love it if you have got a partner at home they're left with all the boring stuff and and it's hard to sort of um you know it's it's sort of unavoidable and my partner's a performer so he kind of gets it but even then it's it's just um but i assume as well like
0: part of the reasons that they love you is because of you know your passion for your work and 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 you know what you've managed to do with your work, so the the schedule is just part and parcel of that. In a weird way, they might like love yeah. that as well. In a strange it way, it's
1: hard though. And I think any any performer gets it. it is a it's a, a tricky thing. You're on the road for a long time, and it just feels like you're off having fun with your friends, which you sort of are, while someone's at home dealing with all the domestic stuff. Plus, we were doing a house up at the time as well, so he really did have he did have the rough end of the stick.
0: I mean, it probably shows that you're um you're, that you're a good person. It does because you're what thinking does? about you're thinking about the person at home. Not really sometimes in <laughs> passing it's crossing your mind yeah 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 i'm sure <laughs> well, I'm, that's well, cold well, I'm comfort. An
1: earful of it at night on the phone yeah um but no it is it is the thing so I, I think as you get older you kind of start to work out how to balance those kind of things with with you yeah, know make sure your relationship is this is the priority not just the fun of touring
0: uh should we stroll around the square a little bit do you think yeah yeah let's have it yeah so yeah, this ho- is
1: hoxton square itself Yes. And there's a funny statue in it, which uh, I remember going up, and I put a bust in the woods when I left, when we moved out. Had a lot of stuff. Yes. And there was quite a nice bust. And I thought I will leave it in the um, in the woody bit at the side.
0: A kind of offering.
1: Yeah, because it would look like a it would look like a sort of a statue. So it won't be immediately nicked, maybe, but it, it, I think it was. I think it was gone within a. Well, maybe uh, the person who, who nicked it is
0: listening, and now they know that they have something of immense shamanic yeah, value. Yeah, John Brown's
1: bust. Yes,
0: I think, I think the um, I think that the big. Sculpture that you're drawing attention to there is by the artist Stick. I th- I might oh, wild. you know
1: this? Okay, great. I think well, it's I'm... one of the
0: very famous street artists.
1: Oh, okay, there you go. Well, I remember it going up. It was a lot yellower. It's absolutely filthy now. God, it was bright yellow last time I saw that. Once
0: things take on a certain level of filth, I feel they become uh... more part of London.
1: Yeah, yeah, I suppose so.
0: I know that you've obviously you've written about sort of contentment and happiness and things. Like Maybe not everyone who listens to this will know about the stuff you've written about mm. sort of uh, well-being. Was the lockdown period challenging in that respect, or did it sort of actually make you kind of um, knuckle down and work out what it was to be happy because there were so many challenges to it?
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I'd noticed, I'd, I'd written this book, Happy, which was about Stoicism and, and sort of essentially Greek philosophy a couple of years before, and I remember noticing that after I'd written it, I was then going out and giving talks on it and sort of feeling unhappy, and I didn't really know why, and I felt a bit hypocritical, and I realised it was just because I'd finished, I'd finished writing it so there was this sort of gap, you know, I, I, the actual the act of doing something like that, a big creative project, had in itself been a source of happiness, and suddenly without it I was felt a bit just sort of you know, at a loose end and dissatisfied and irritable, and I find the same thing when I come off tour. So I think that feeling of um, we, we get happiness out of, out of meaning. Meaning is what gives us happiness, really, and, and you get a sense of meaning in life from finding something that's bigger than yourself and then losing yourself in that thing um, and it doesn't have to be anything in itself meaningful. It's just that it absorbs you in that way and that that's and also being of Meaning to other people knowing that somebody needs you or that you're a value to somebody else. That's another strange source of happiness and those those ways of finding happiness are so much more effective than trying to chase it directly because when we do that it always slips through our fingers. Um, I suppose it's
0: hard not to sort of just focus on a few things and think if I just have this, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy.
0: Uh, As someone who's obviously thought about it and written about it at length, are you aware when these feelings come up, when they are sort of quote-unquote false happiness? You're like, no, no, let's not pursue that in order for meaning. Or just at
1: least knowing that, I mean, particularly with things, you know, if I I have this thing, I'll be happy. I mean, I guess maybe as you get older, you've had enough experience of that. Hedonic treadmill, as they call it, you get it, and then for a minute you're like, wow, and then you're back to where you were. Your natural levels of happiness resume. Once your house
0: can hold no more um, <laughs> sort of cutlery and plates and bowls from all yeah. the cafes in the vicinity of your uh, house, then you exactly maybe that's the end. It's
1: it's it's how you make your peace with the fact that life's inherently dissatisfying. That matters, not trying to make it satisfying by cramming it with things that you think might bring you pleasure.
0: Yeah, and do you think you've you know you've taken on so many different Pursuits, painting, writing, books, stage. For people who sort of maybe don't have an opportunity to do that many things like that, they just, they go to work and they have a family. Mm. Is it still possible to attain that sort of contentment, do you think? Or will there always be a thing in people's minds that sort of wants to aspire to something quote-unquote great? But part,
1: but part of the problem of that is trying to aspire to a kind of contentment. I think there's so much, there's just this sort of unspoken thing that there is something we should be doing. And if we're not... If we haven't got that contentment, if we haven't got that happiness, then we somehow failed. And that's just all, it's just wrong. Life is by its nature, if you imagine a graph and on one axis you've got all the stuff you want to do, your plans and your aims and what you think you should be. And then the other axis is all the stuff that life is throwing back at you. They used to call it fortune. And we actually live this kind of X equals Y, Diagonal line, a sort of an undulating line, where sometimes we're on top and things are going great, and then the next minute something horrible happens, and we're pulled in the other direction. And that is the nature of life. So much of it, I think, is just about making your peace with that. So the Stoics had it's acceptance, some acceptance, not trying to control the things that you can't, realizing that there is no work-life balance. That that, as um, Oliver berkman puts it, we have this sort of time is the medium through which life just you know unfolds it's not this sort of resource that we have to use correctly otherwise we're we're messing it up it's okay that it's dissatisfying and difficult i think once you kind of make a peace with that then there is a certain sort of a sort of happiness or a certain liberating something that just creeps in and softens the edges
0: but we should be suspicious of full happiness maybe
1: yeah Well, all, all this comes from a very american model which in turn came from the Calvinist movement, its a very Protestant thing of like, work hard and you will be saved, right? So that's now become, set your goals, believe in yourself, do everything correctly, and you'll be happy, the universe will provide. And it's just nonsense. And the trouble with it is that when it doesn't work, when the universe doesn't provide, you think it's your own fault, you weren't doing it correctly. It's the same model that those faith healers use when they say, throw away your pills, and if you don't get better, it's because you didn't have enough faith It's the same thing. It's a really insidious kind of lie. And the reality is, this is what life's like. How do you make your peace with that? And the only hard work to be done is just that. that It's not about setting your goal. The trouble with goal setting is it's great until you achieve your goal, and and then what? If you don't achieve your goal, you failed. If you do, what happens next? Sometimes, you know, arriving somewhere at the end of a destination is just the only reward might just be the feeling of, you know, taking your coat off and relaxing. It's not that thing of the, you know, the journey being the... uh, the thing, not the destination, is, is so important. And all of that goal setting, it's fine for short-term stuff, like you want to learn a language, or drive a, you know learn to drive a car, or whatever. But the long-term stuff is, you've got to be really, um, really careful of it. Because it might be that actually losing yourself in the process of trying to achieve that goal, building up a company, or whatever it is you're doing, that might be your source of happiness. Not what you think it is at the end. So when you get there, you might find it oddly Empty and sad. No more worlds to conquer. No more worlds to conquer. Yeah.
0: If any uh, curious listener wanted yeah. to dip a toe into uh, Stoic philosophy, is there a an author or a particular? Yes, book Yes, there's
1: a book by Darren Brown called Happy, which I think explains it all awesome. brilliantly and wittily. And that in sounds in good. Way. Oh, it's a doggy in the park.
0: It's a lovely dog. I don't
1: know that dog. I should know all the dogs here.
0: It's uh, oh. it's doing it's doing the thing we were He's talking about before. It's doing the thing before. we
1: were talking about. What is that?
0: Yeah, I, I don't want this podcast to become synonymous with, with I that I hope she's going to clear
1: that up. No, oh, she's pretending not to have seen. I hate that.
0: Yeah, that's that's bad behaviour. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, she's been exposed on a popular podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, if the police a are listening, herself.
0: she's about five foot eight, yeah. all in black, shoulder length, yeah. blonde hair. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, cool. Well, no, thank you very much for showing me your happy place yeah. here in the square.
1: Hoxton, uh, Hoxton Square.
0: Oh. Let's move on. Let's move
1: on. I think I'm always interested in, which the show is about. I I realise I keep going back to this show I'm doing. but No, please do. not So, the show Unbelievable is sort of... We always always try to make the magic about something else. But it's sort of, for me, it's about... We look at other people, we see the best part of themselves normally, that is what they're trying to present, and we make this mistake of comparing their outsides, which is sort of vaguely together and impressive, but we don't compare it to our outsides. We compare it to our insides, which contains all of the embarrassing, awkward, clumsy... Ugly, weird, aggressive, you know, all of that stuff, and of course that means we just come down badly at ourselves uh, Absolutely, all the yeah. time and it's such a it's, it's a category mistake it's just that it's a really bad comparison, and it struck me as like a magic trick you know that you have the bit that you show the world and then you have the bit that you keep hidden because if anybody sees that bit, it'll you know bring the whole illusion tumbling down, but it is all it is all theatre.
0: Do you, I mean, do you put much stead in personality types and things like that? I've never been sure about it. Like, broad personality
1: types. Yeah, I've never been sure about it either. I think it holds up, I think. I think it's sort of useful. I mean, probably if you're choosing a partner and want a sort of an easy life, I think there's something about you know, similar personality types. Although I think it's, you see, but I would say it's much more interesting and valuable to negotiate or navigate your differences with you know, some kind of... um, Right. I don't know, easy grace is more important than those personality types and who you'd, who you'd match with. So I'm sure there's something to it. But it just doesn't quite gel with where I think, which is much more along individual, yes, private lives. The personal experience of life is what interests me more than stats.
0: Well, the stats thing, the types thing, it's, it's sort of very popular with... Uh, younger people now. There's the myers Brig personality test mm. and things. And, you know, you're, you've spoken before about sort of faith healers and sort of confidence trickers and charlatans. Mm. People like to be shown stuff that suddenly sounds true. Like they'll hear something. Yeah. And then the moment you do that, they will just go along with it and i feel that with the personality types thing which is big in business now as well you yeah. know sort of like management courses to go oh you're an are you a fire type or a wind type and things like that um yeah, we, love an, sort of,
1: we love an easy system yeah but look it's what magic's about we are we have a really bad relationship with with mystery in the in in the west we've sort of things are difficult and ambiguous and complicated and mysterious we we don't really know what to to do with any of that it's interesting you know, psychology is if you think about all the various types and statistics and so on that it gives us all of which are very valuable but the one thing that will be missing from any of that is the individual right so if you decide that the average weight of a pebble on the beach is whatever 3.52 did a little, a little a grams you're very un- that might be true but you're very unlikely to find an actual pebble of that of that weight yes. so we sort of live in this world where the world of that scientific Thinking around the human experience never quite matches up to our actual lived experience of it. No. So there is this sort of, there's this discrepancy and, and that's everything that's mysterious about ourselves and is sort of unknown. And I, to me, that's, it's a really important thing because what maps in the personal experience also maps into relationships and into society, right? So sure. there are these sides of us that are mysterious and are unknown and there might be things that we've sort of banished and hidden there because we're told they're bad or things we've just never really kind of Looked at or whatever so you develop these kind of sides that Jung called the shadow side and they do develop a certain power Because it's all it's all the things that are unconscious and a recurring theme in fairy stories and so on is the uh, you know the evil stepmother that's banished from the christening and then she turns up and lays a curse on the baby and it resonates because these things that we banish, gain a certain power and do curse us. You know, if you don't deal with it, I don't know, if you're closeted something and you're not dealing with that, it's going to come back and bite you.
0: Well, our conflict-averse nice, shadow selves nice arrived segue. at the fourth location. Do you want to say where we are?
1: We're at the Owl and the Pussycat. We're on um, a pub on Redchurch Street. I'm really intrigued to go in because it looks really nice. It's got this lovely old green Victorian tiles. and It does. It's got a nice, uh, and it's got a plaque saying the British Institute of Innkeeping. We're in safe hands. Let's go
0: in. (laughs) All right, we've just purchased our drinks and sat down. Cheers, by the way.
1: Cheers, ting. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: No, uh, it's been really great talking to you. Should
1: we just take a moment to explain the, please may I?
0: Yes, okay, well we, um, we're ordering a drink downstairs, and I mentioned I was trying to bring back uh, Please May I Have. Please May I Have. Which has fallen out of fashion for some reason. I think it sounds a little bit polite. It sounds a bit sort of page boy. Don't know. But...
1: But that is the point, isn't
0: it? That's part of its charm. I think so. But it's Infinitely nice. preferable to the brash Americanisms, can I get, can I take?
1: Can I take? I haven't heard can I take, but I will hear it. Yeah, now you will. listen
0: out for it. The it's guy downstairs you... said he knew can I take.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was horrendous. It's horrible how you find yourself... I remember hearing cheers all the time. I think I'll never say that. Yeah. And then you suddenly realize that you said all the time. I said all the time.
0: Were there magicians growing up on stage that you felt inspired by? Yes. Which ones?
1: <laughs> um, my particular, I suppose, magical heroes would be Teller of Pen and Teller, the little quiet one. I think he's uh, wonderful. Wonderful thinker and writer about magic, too. A guy called Chan Canasta, who was around in the 50s and 60s, a Polish mentalist, mind reader like, like me. Um, there haven't been many of us around historically, and he was kind of wonderful, and there's footage of him around on YouTube and so what on. Was
0: his, uh, what was his like shtick? Or it was th-
1: really about manipulating people's choices. I mean, there's definitely a, a line from him to me. He, had a, he didn't do like big stunts or anything like that. It was just working with people. He did shows on stage, stuff on television. He's a very, very charming character in a sort of tuxedo, and it was all very, sometimes the things didn't work, and that was kind of fine but a very believable and uh, charismatic, powerful. I really, really think he's terrific. Um, and a great name, Chan Canasta.
0: That is a great name, yeah. Uh, in any case, we are now arriving at a time in the show. I'm gonna ask you about London in general, as opposed to Hoxton specifically. Okay, nice. What's important is that uh, it's your first reaction. So there's no wrong answers, it's just there's what your no first- no wrong
1: answers, unless they're about, well, Newcastle.
0: Then that's the wrong answer. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. crucially. What is your five-star pint?
1: Can I go Martini? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, would you hate me if I said Claridge's? No, that sounds quite nice. Okay. Everyone loves
0: Claridge's. Is, yeah. the, is the Martini dirty?
1: No, it's not. I like it extra, painfully, aggressively dry with a twist very much, or a Gibson occasionally. But yeah, not, I, I'm not, not an olive fan. And with vodka and Clara just just did a really nice one. I'm so sorry if that's hateful.
0: Don't apologize, you are who slash what you are. I don't
1: eat there or stay there, but I do go to the little bar for the occasional martini. For the
0: dry vodka martini. Do you have a five star pizza?
1: So, Home Slice is quite nearby here, actually. We used to get those a lot, but I don't know, can you do any better than Domino's, really? It wouldn't be the first
0: time it's come no. up on this. People do feel very warmly towards Domino's. I feel Domino's, very warmly
1: but... towards Domino's, and every aspect of it, guy dropping it off, is nice. it's all nice, but Home Slice is nearby here in Hoxton where we are, and that is very, very nice for a chorizo and sweet corn thing that was delicious. Mm. But it's one of those restaurants, especially being in Hoxton, can you serve your food on a plate? It's like anything, slate, a chopping board, first generation iPad. Yeah, just that's a pet hate for me with restaurants. My other pet hate is when somebody serves food and then they go, "And this is this," and, th- and they stick their finger on your yeah, food. I don't yeah. like that. Keep your finger away. I don't this. like
0: it also when they explain to you how to approach the menu. Have you ever had that? You sit down and they go, "Do you want me to tell you how to approach the menu?" Like right. it's war,
1: like it's yeah, or something <laughs> like
0: that. I approach the menu by ordering three things on it
1: in the right order. In the yeah, right yeah, order. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Do you have a five-star park?
1: Well, I'm going to go to Regent's Park for that. I used to live quite close to it. I lived on Baker Street for many years, which is kind of, I think, fits the brand. Mm. And I used to go to Regent's Park all the time. And it was, it's really great. Having said that, again, we're in Hoxton. Haggerston Park, very lovely around the corner, but
0: mm. also a little bit druggy. You can see Ian Sinclair, the famous London writer, walking around it every morning. The uh, psycho-geographical non-fiction writer. He's always there, and you
1: can also see Darren Brown cleaning up his dog's poo. Sometimes or I was I was walking back once from the from <laughs> the um, park, which was just round close to my house, and um, I was with Doodle, my beagle-basset cross. She pooed on the pavement. I didn't have a bag on me, and a lady came past and said, "I hope you're going to clean that up." Uh, I said, "Yes, no, I, I will. I have a bag at home." So I went back to get the bag from home, and I'm a good person, so I went back to. Pick the poo up, left the dog at home. So now I'm walking back. I get to the poo, and this guy and his girlfriend walk up, and they're like, "Oh, oh, Darren Brown, we're really big fans, and we have a whole chat." I'm stood there with the bag in my pocket. We have a whole chat, and um, <laughs> while we're talking, uh, I sort of get it in my head, I've got to, I've got to pick this poo up, um, and I became just aware it was there, and I thought, we don't want to chat with the poo next to us. So as we're talking, I just sort of got the bag out my pocket and picked up the and carried on talking and tried not to make a thing of it and eventually said goodbye to them and walked off. But yeah, that's their story, that they met me and I just picked up a dog turd from the street.
0: They won't forget it in a hurry. (laughs) Do you have a five-star city that isn't London?
1: Bristol, Bristol, without a doubt. I studied there, I lived there for ten years, I spent a lot of time there now. It's the best. It's like a big, I would say a big secret, I think, over the last couple of years or whatever. Secrets out. The secret's definitely out there. But God, what a what a place. Happy, friendly, creative, buzzy, beautiful. You can be five minutes drive from proper countryside, five minutes walk from proper city centre and all the things that gives you, and you're an hour and a half from London.
0: Not the first nomination for well, Bristol. I, Quite yeah, a few people I've have said, said five-star cup of coffee.
1: There was a very nice place called Lali's, I think it's L-A-I, apostrophe S, on Bruton Place in sort of in Mayfair. And I had to stay there for a while while I was doing my West End show, while I was doing Showman Lust. And I loved their coffee, that was phenomenal. I liked that very much. I'm actually barista trained, believe it or not. How come? So my answers are correct, they count for more. If anybody else has given you any other answers, they're just wrong.
0: And what is your five star cup of coffee to make as a barista trained person?
1: Well, I've got a very nice Mazzocco machine at home, which is the, the beast that you want. I've got the kind of domestic version of it. I do make a very nice coffee, and I make a, a nice flat white.
0: A flat white, yeah. Do you do the Sadly, funny art with the, art no, with the I, do, I do the
1: art, I do the art. You did remark on the art. I nice can do art. collapsed Christmas tree and short cock and balls.
0: Sounds lovely. Two things which do look quite similar to the undersigning eye.
1: Yes, they, they if can. If you ever
0: serve me a cup of coffee, I'm gonna, if I, I can tell yeah. which is which, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sometimes, I've thought about this, you get a cock and balls. Uh, so, look carefully at your latte arcs. I think if you've made a fool of yourself or made yourself unpopular in the kitchen, I think it's a secret thing that some cafes do. Because if you think about the lovely kind of tulipy kind of shape that they do, if you kind of condense that, it, it can look a bit like genitalia. And I think they do that sometimes as mo- a kind of fuck you thing. the modern barista the version of the
0: gobbing in someone's drink exactly, is to send yeah, yeah. out a cock and balls. I would
1: love I, I have I'm it's speculation. I'd love confirmation on that from a, um, a cafe. I know, but I, I
0: Please can't. get in touch. Do you make coffee? Have you sent out a cock and balls to someone a Michael Winner type character who's, who's uh, snarled at you somewhere? Mm. Uh, do you have a five star takeaway?
1: When I lived here, it was Busaba. I got their app, and there's a reward scheme on the app, and I used to get the takeaways all the time, build up my points, and I built up the points to a 250 quid bingo, which is when you get an entire free meal worth 250 quid for you and your friend, never did it. It's because you build up so could... many
0: points, you feel that you're sort of robbing them in a way. You've used too well, many points.
1: Yeah, and then it became a bit of a, like, how long can you leave it, can I go back now? That was like six years, you know, I've just never, Never done it, but yeah, Busaba was the uh, takeaway for me.
0: Do you have, finally, a five-star tube station?
1: Baker Street, so I used to live on Baker Street. I lived above Baker Street tube station.
0: An incredible building, by the way. That whole, yeah, really awesome. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely,
1: beautiful, Chiltern Court. I used to go from there to Westminster, which is where we uh, had our production offices, and I used to go at a comfortable time, it's like 11 o'clock, it is of course the oldest tube station in London, which I always thought was very optimistic. Of them, and <laughs> so you you go down into this beautiful vaulted subway tile thing, and I um, always had this really lovely. Comfort. And I, I love tube journeys because you're um, everyone's making their way through life. Everyone's got their stuff to do, and just for a moment, you're kind of flung in with everyone's difficult, messy bit between the A's and the B's and all the bits. Again, that they show the world. It's like the ins- it's like the the inside life is just coming out for a little bit. It's just those awkward in between bits, and I always find there's something really touching I love train journeys too it's something there's it's just the bits in between I just love that there's something about it I find really touching so I used to love that journey because it was very comfortable time in the morning it wasn't too busy beautiful train station to get into tube station and Westminster very nice at the other end to get out on so um, yeah I have a real fondness for Baker Street I love it every time I go through it's
0: it. an absolute bloody goated classic Baker Street is what I would say yeah <laughs> Darren Brown this has been your Hoxton Thank you very much for um, all of the insights. It's been great.
1: Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. This has been very lovely. May I shake your hand?
0: You're more than welcome.
1: I took it last time I was in Hoxton, we couldn't shake hands. So actually, it feels weird doing it against this backdrop. It's such a treat. Thank you for having me.
0: There we go. Thank you. Uh, to Mr. Darren Brown, what a nice guy. It was very inspiring hearing him talk about all of those things to do with contentment, to do with happiness, to do with life goals. It's given me a lot to think about, put it that way. And Hoxton, of course, interesting area. Lovely to hear about his reminiscences throughout lockdown. Um, He obviously did a lot of walking here, a lot of thinking. If you want to see more of Darren do his thing, unbelievable is on right now at the criterion in piccadilly circus it sounds quite hard to get your head around it doesn't contain him allegedly and it doesn't contain any magicians allegedly as well but you know what he's like he'll find a way to get his sorcery in there somehow um it's on for six months uh do book a ticket now follow him on social media as well for for more of his sort of stuff if you liked the sound of our podcast i hope you did there's another episode every tuesday that's love thy neighborhood um, do like it do subscribe to it do give it a nice review every single review counts in the meantime uh it still didn't come up with a catchphrase i know that i said but by this time we would have easily thought up uh, an outro catchphrase haven't done that uh so i'm just gonna say uh, cheerio that them's the streets keep on streeting. cheerio Love Thy Neighborhood is sponsored by Freenow, the mobility super app. I've interviewed some pretty fascinating characters in my time as Time Out London editor, I've grilled actors, I've endured the bad boy chiller crew, and I've even hung out with the king. But the people with the best anecdotes are always the humble black cab drivers, aka the knights of the road. What's more, they have access to the bus lanes so they can get you to where you need to be quick smart. With Freenow, I can book an audience with one of these wise and powerful drivers in just a few swift taps. Oh, and sorry, by the king, I meant the guy who makes the falafel wraps in seven aisles. I'm on my way, my falafel king.